We begin today a reading of the book of Hebrews. We'll be reading Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. Uh, the book of Hebrews was written in the 8060s, very likely, by an unknown apostolic figure. Some association to Paul can be assumed because there's references to Timothy at the end of the book and there's other Pauline strands in there. I would argue, in fact, we'll see in the text where I think it's clear that Paul himself did not write it. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the ultimate author. We do not know the human author. But we do know the point of the book of Hebrews. It is written to the Jewish Christian community in Palestine I think it's pretty clear, the writers in Italy writing to Palestine, it could be the opposite, but I think it's pretty clear. And they are people who are losing everything for Jesus. Uh, They have concluded that Jesus is the Messiah, and they are being kicked out of the synagogue. They have been kicked out of the synagogue, and that means they've lost everything. They lost their jobs, they lost their family, they are outcasts. They are, as the writer of Hebrews would put it, they are outside the camp. And the writer of Hebrews is urging them that the one thing they must not do is to abandon Jesus despite their persecution. And it's a remarkable, really a wonderful book uh, that is going to show in in various ways, it's actually a sermon, he calls it my word of exhortation, uh, showing that Christ is superior to every other option. He starts with the angels and he'll get to Moses, to Joshua, he'll deal with the Old Testament priesthood. And his perspective is this, that one reason, we must not go back from Jesus to Judaism, from the New Testament to the Old Testament, because we will not, we will lose everything. We lose our salvation, but you you actually lose the Old Testament. If you renounce the New Testament and go back to a Christless Old Testament, you not only have abandoned Christianity, you've actually abandoned the true Old Covenant faith. And he will show that in marvelous ways in this wonderful book. Now, Hebrews begins with a very important statement, particularly for for biblical hermeneutics, interpreting the Bible, understanding how the Old and New Testament fits together in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Well, that's the Old Testament. Our fathers would be the, 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 the Jewish leaders of the Old Testament. And there was great diversity in many different settings. And there's many different ways. Oh, there's a big difference between Psalms and Jeremiah and uh, the, the book of Genesis and Song of Songs. Great variety. Now, notice what he says there, this doctrine of inspiration. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There's human agency. We, we know that. But it was God who spoke. They were merely the, the vehicle by which he did so. That's the Old Testament. But here's what we have now. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now that expression, these last days, relates to the consistent New Testament teaching that the last days, the last era of human history was inaugurated by the first coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, tonight we'll be studying the ascension of Jesus in the book of Acts. And that inaugurates the era of history in which we live, which is these last days. The last days are not a series of events at the end of our age, just before Jesus returns. It is the entire age inaugurated by his first coming and his departure in the ascension. And in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. You see, it's a superior revelation. More literally, you might say, he's spoken to us in his son. And so Christ is the final, it's the fullest revelation. It doesn't invalidate the value of the Old Testament, but they're all pointing forward to him. And it's like there's a sketch and suddenly the full color is there. 
And he's going to talk about his divine nature. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's going to talk about Christ's divine uh, participation in creation, his work of our redemption. He's going to set forth Christ at the beginning and all through this book. Now, the rest of the chapter deals with the worship of angels. Actually, it goes into chapter 2. There was a lot of angel worship in the first century. Uh, there's a lot of angel worship today. At least in the modern version of it, people are, like to worship angels because they're supernatural beings that apparently, at least in popular literature and media, don't make any demands on you. There's Clarence, and it's a wonderful life, and he rings the bell when he gets his wings. He just wants you to be happy. And so it's a, angel worship is very popular, and it was popular then. But he points out that Jesus has given a, a greater name than them. In fact, the angels worship him. The angels are his servants. In fact, there's a good statement at the end of the chapter. Are not angels ministering servants sent to serve those who will receive salvation? They do serve us, but they worship him and they glorify him. Uh, now, there's a series of texts here that Psalm 2 is cited here. You should recognize that. Psalm 45 cited. Psalm 110. It's kind of the way the writer of Hebrews works. He's going to give brief ex- expositions of Old Testament passages. But I, I want to conclude my, my introduction by just pointing out verses 8 to 9. It, it shows the, the, the logic of the argumentation. But of the Son, he says, this is Psalm 45, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Whoa. Now, he's arguing the doctrine of the Trinity, the necessity of the doctrine of the Trinity because of the Old Testament. And he's saying, here's God speaking to someone, and God describes the person as God, and you, O God, you're anointed by God. And he's making that argument so common to the apostles in their Jewish apologetics that the doctrine of the Trinity and of the deity of Christ is is necessary to the Old Testament. So we're going to see a lot of that kind of argumentation. But I want to conclude by saying, note the doxological beauty of it. Hebrews is a wonderful book in its doctrine. There's some distinct doctrines emphasized here. It's very powerful writing. But look what happens when we see Jesus. His throne is forever and ever. He, he holds the scepter of uprightness. He loves righteousness, hated wickedness. And God has anointed him with the oil of gladness above his companions. That's you and me in that text. We're the companions of Christ, and he has poured out gladness out of the beauty and glory of Christ. Well, we certainly don't want to leave him. Whatever the world does to us, we'll take Jesus. Well, let's give ear to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word, Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. 
And again, he brings the firstborn, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The grass withers and the flowers fall and the word of our God abides forever. Amen.